0: a day, what a day, what a day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of EQ Book Club. If you're a regular listener to this show, you're probably annoyed by how much I complain about the ignorance and lack of true education I gained through the Texas public school system. Well, be annoyed no more. Today, we will be discussing some positive momentum in public schooling around the US because today I'm joined by one of the coolest educators in the country, someone who I get to call a friend, and I am honored by how many times I've gotten to learn from him. And when I was bedridden with COVID a few weeks ago, he consistently texted me the most cringeworthy dad jokes in hopes that the pain of these jokes would override the physical pain I was feeling, and it definitely worked. Coach Rudy, welcome to the show.
1: Ah, uh, thank you. I'm excited to be here and I, I'm glad that you don't have to suffer any more dad jokes. I said you got to recover or you're going to get more of them and, and, and you recovered and I am so happy.
0: I recovered as quickly as possible. They were rough and they <laughs> made me roll my eyes every time, but they were very enjoyable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was definitely feeling a lot of empathy for you with, uh, what you were going through and I wanted to reach out and support you. And but the listeners don't, don't know this, but you know, uh, Ryan had to cancel our, our first schedule for this, uh, because he had come down with COVID. And obviously when he told me, I was very, very worried for him and concerned for him as, as anybody would be. And I just kind of followed up with him every day and just checked in on him and, uh, Fortunately, he has made a very nice recovery. So that is something to really celebrate, Ryan.
0: I have, and I appreciate it. I appreciate you. It was nice to have somebody checking in every day uh, that wasn't my parents. So <laughs> it was cool. Uh, along these lines, I believe that social and emotional, you know, this this empathy, this, this context uh, that you've been able to give in to give to my COVID situation. um, That is a factor in emotional intelligence and social intelligence and social and emotional intelligence are concepts that everyone needs to be learning about as much as possible as soon as they learn what they are, in my belief. Uh, But more than that, I see them as the main indicators of how successful someone can become, which of course means like everything we think that will make someone successful, we should be teaching these concepts to our kids as early as possible. So you are doing excellent work in education at every grade level. You are the founder of SEL Launchpad, which we will explain what that means in a moment. And you work with teachers around the country on developing emotional intelligence and social and emotional learning strategies in the classroom and out of the classroom, of course. Uh, that is awesome. Let's just start from the beginning. What is SEL and how did you end up here teaching others how to teach it?
1: Huh. Okay, so um, so tying into your podcast, EQ Book Club, um, emotional intelligence and how we grow emotional intelligence is through research and evidence-based methods called social and emotional learning. And there's an organization called CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning. They're in Chicago. They've been around for about 26 years. And they are constantly studying um, different methods, strategies, frameworks to help build social emotional learning skills in kids and raise their emotional intelligence. All of this work comes from Dr. Goldman's book, Emotional Intelligence, way back in the day. And he's actually one of the co-founders of CASEL. So we really wanted to figure out once this book became popular and emotional intelligence became popular, well, how do we get it to kids? Exactly what you just said. And this work um, has been a slow volume knob of ramping up. But right now there is incredible momentum across the country as just about every school district in the country will tell you that one of their top five priorities is social emotional learning right now. And there are tons of research and evidence-based curriculums and programs and trainings and methods um, that teachers are really engaging in. And I think people are really waking up to exactly what you just said, is that your EQ is really more important than your IQ, um, especially when it comes to your overall success and happiness in life. And also these are skills that employers want and um, they're called soft skills or 21st century skills. These are the very same skills. And if we can do a better job of developing these skills, not only are we going to have kids be more successful in and out of school, uh, but they're going to be more successful in the workplace. And this is a proactive approach to the mental health of students, to school safety, to school climate and culture. I mean, these skills really make a difference in just about every way. And I know your audience can already hear this from me, but I am a very passionate person about this work. And I really believe SEL work and emotional intelligence work is save the world work. If we're going to build a better world, we've got to build, we've got to equip the next generation with these kinds of skills. That's the only way I think we can do it. So there you have it.
0: Thank you. Yes. Um, What, so obviously you've given us what SEL is and why we should teach it. What does it do specifically for the students and what does it do specifically for the teachers?
1: Okay. So um, teaching these lessons you're teaching skills. So you're teaching people how to actively listen or how to feel and show empathy for others or how to resolve conflicts or how to apologize and forgive or how to manage their emotions. Um, these kinds of skills are skills that each of us can use to get more of what we want out of life, to build stronger relationships, to um, manage our own um, our lives and emotions, so that we can avoid those big mistakes where we bite somebody's head off when we're not in control emotionally, or when we're um, you know overexcited or over anxious and we make some big mistake. So these skills of self-management and relationship skills and self-awareness and social awareness and responsible decision-making, when I teach these skills, what happens is is, um, all kinds of positive outcomes in the classroom from better engagement to better relationships in the space to better climate and culture, to more inclusion, um, to higher grades and higher achievement in general. And one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. And so one of the things I've found is that as I'm training teachers and they engage in this work, it really impacts their personal skills because if you teach this stuff every day, you can't help, but become more aware of it. Um, and once you become aware of something, there's a quote I like, which is when you know better, you generally do better. And so if I can become aware of something, then I often will apply, uh, more effective strategies uh, in my life, and ones that I've been teaching every day.
0: Absolutely, and I've been reading a book uh, recently, and by recently, I mean I've I'm almost on page two hundred in the last two days. It's been really exciting. Great book. Uh, it's been. I guess I'll just recommend it right now. Uh, Breaking the habit of being yourself. It's been recommended on this podcast like three times now, and I finally got it the other day and. I'm having a lot of fun with it, but one of the ideas is that, as you were just saying, when you're teaching this stuff, you're thinking about this stuff more, and then you're doing it more, and then there's the third level. Once you are thinking, your brain is is engaged, and then you're doing, your body is engaged with it, then your full being is engaged with this and you are being these things. You are being emotionally intelligent. You are being empathetic. You are being whatever these, uh, contextual things you've been working on are. Um, so just thought I'd throw that in there because it's been exciting for me to, uh, be able to articulate these concepts in a new way. Um,
1: well, I think it's a good point that you're bringing up. I mean, the whole breaking the habit of being yourself. I think one of the things that that we get trapped in is that we think that we are chained to our, our current capabilities that, oh, I've always had a temper or, oh, I've always not been a morning person or, oh, you know, and, and we allow that rut to set in our lives in the way that we say it that, you know, I, I just can't control my anger or I just, you know, and that's it's not true. You are not chained to your current capabilities. Those of you listening to me right now, I'm serious. You are not chained to your current capabilities. You can grow any capability that you want in your life. It just takes awareness, time, and practice. And you can do it. And there's lots of great resources out there that you can listen to and grow in this podcast itself. But the key is, You have to take these um, understandings and reflect on them. In order to become more effective, you have to become more reflective. If you will reflect on your last practices and what's happened and how could I have done it better and how could I have applied emotional management or relationship skill here, that reflection is really what helps you learn from experience. We don't learn from experience. A lot of people think we do. We don't. You only learn when you reflect on experience, which is why so many of us take so many experiences before we learn something. We just keep making the same (laughs) mistake over and over again because we never reflect on it. But if we can just think, what did I do? How could I do that differently? How could I apply one of those lessons that I learned on EQ book club or wherever else, right? then as I become more reflective, I become more effective and I get better at growing these skills.
0: Absolutely. I it That brought me to thinking about, okay, what is my thing in this contextualization, which is that for so much of my life growing up, I thought that I just didn't have emotions. And because of that, I didn't allow myself to have emotions. And then as I did that, it just caused more and more pain because I was just thinking, oh, well, I'm just not an emotional person, so I can't give these emotions back to you, sorry about it. And then <laughs> that just breaks people's heart uh, because you can't be empathetic, you can't be sympathetic, you can't meet them where they're at. And then I, uh, here I am now, being able to engage in emotions constantly and have fun doing it whether they're positive or negative emotions I have a lot of fun being in them and around them and sharing them with others because it has allowed me to be a full person which is crazy you like the more you engage in all the things that you thought you couldn't you become more of a full fuller person and uh have a better being and experience
1: So one of the students that I worked with for many years um, expressed it similarly, but he had an interesting way of saying it. He said that he had come from a very poor Hispanic family. This is his story. And he said, every male in his family either showed no emotion or all emotions. And he said, all of the males in my family were emotionally constipated. They basically showed no emotion. And there's, there's some stuff that's really going on in our society that makes, that encourages that, mm-hmm. you know, that men are not supposed to show emotion. And that's really not healthy at all, because the more you repress those emotions, the more painful they can be and the more explosive they can be when you finally can't hold them in anymore. Anyway, so he said that one of the best things from social emotional learning from him was understanding that emotions were okay and that you should feel it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. that you
1: should feel a very wide range of emotions because that's life. You know, a life without emotions would be blah, right? So and yeah, so boring. And so, um, that he, once he understood that, it was very liberating for him to be able to realize that emotions were okay. And the way I like to teach um, students and adults is I like to think of emotions like salt. Without salt, your food is blah, bland. With a little (laughs) bit of salt, it can make the food delicious. But if you pour salt all over the food, it can become inedible. So we want to be aware of our emotions. We want to understand the messages that they are carrying. And we also want to keep our emotions at helpful and not at hijacked levels when they become dysfunctional. And I can't think clearly. It's totally great to experience and feel emotions. At the same time, I want to keep my thinking brain in charge.
0: Exactly. Um, So I have a piece of content from an experience we had together a few weeks ago. Uh, You said calm equals smart. (laughs) And I really like that because I feel very smart because I'm very calm often and I think that it wasn't until I engaged in my emotions understood them and then was able to do something with them understand what I needed to do with them and how they needed to be reflected in my life um that I was able to have that inner calm and then I started to gain knowledge more consistently and understanding what to do with it and uh feeling smart. And so yeah. tell me a little bit more about why calm equals smart.
1: So I like to teach it uh, let's imagine like a four story building and the first floor of that building is survival. You know, it's just getting all the stuff you need for survival. And then you have the second story of the building which is kind of where your emotions are and the third story of the building is where you can start doing some some good thinking and then you've got the penthouse of the building which is the contemplative state. Now, this building is your brain, so to speak, and your ability to think. So the lower level parts of your brain are more basic functions, and the higher level parts of your brain are more complicated functions, more advanced functions. And basically, in order to go up in the elevator, you've got to use calm. And so if you really want to get up there to that penthouse, you got to have that little key card. You guys know what I'm talking about? That key card, that's the calm key card. And you can slide that in. You can go all the way up to the penthouse. Because when I am really calm, I can access the contemplative state. When you have a big decision or something like that, people will often tell you to sleep on it or pray about it or meditate about it. What they're really telling you is, is get to the contemplative state where you can activate your own internal wisdom and you are your wisest. So the way our brain works is the more emotional we are, the more it moves our thinking lower and lower in our brain. So it goes all the way down to that first floor, maybe even the basement. And the goal is to keep myself out of that area, especially when I'm making big decisions. And if I find myself on the first floor and I'm in survival, That's not the time to solve advanced problems. You can't solve a green light problem with a red light brain. I like to say that all the time.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, sounds to me like you were talking about the concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Not
1: really. Not really. No, I was talking there about the levels of your brain and how, you know, where your more advanced brain is. So in your actual physical brain... Your um, the highest level of your brain, your neocortex, is your most advanced thinking brain. And the lowest level of your brain, your brainstem is your more survival brain. And so that little model was about how the calmer you are, the better you can access those higher level thinking. However, what you're talking about with Maslow's hierarchy totally ties into this work of SEL, because we're trying to get students um, to learn something and to self-actualize. And oftentimes we're doing that without building that safety, security, and those basic needs for right. kids. And I always talk about, we've got to do Maslow's before we do Bloom's. Bloom's is a taxonomy on how we teach. It's an advanced way of thinking about teaching and how teaching and learning. And so I like to say Maslow's before Bloom's because I want Maslow's priorities to be there first, meeting safety, security, belongingness, acceptance, before I get into trying to get you to learn something new.
0: So if I'm hearing this correctly, you're saying that for us to be able to learn, for students to be able to learn, the teacher, the educator... In some way, whether it's me in this podcast or a teacher in the classroom, has to make sure that the students, the learners, the listeners are in a space of safety and comfortability and uh, essentially in a place where they can be open to learning and to taking in new information uh, without having guards up or, or, or feeling attacked in what it is that they're learning.
1: Yeah. And I think you actually do a really nice job of this through a podcast. I mean, obviously a podcast is not the ideal way to build these kinds of relationships, but what you do really effectively is you make yourself very vulnerable and transparent, and that makes people feel safe to explore these topics Also, you don't come across as judgy, you know, you don't come across as, you know, saying you're wrong if you're doing this, you know, (laughs) so you're not putting people's guards up so they can explore these topics with you in that safe space. So I think that's really good. But in the classroom, it's all about relationships. Teaching and learning is a relationship, and it is critical that teachers um, emphasize connection, compassion, care, concern before content. Connection, compassion, care, concern before content. I've got to build relationships with kids before I can really get them to to learn from me. And there's an old saying that they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that really is super important in teaching.
0: All right. Well, I think my next question is relevant to exactly what you're talking about right now. I speak a lot on how we need to choose ourselves before we can help others. Right. You tell your educators the same thing. Could you give us some insight into why we need to be taking care of ourselves first if we want to be able to give anything to others?
1: So, there's a lot of ways to think of this, but my favorite one to think about it is just you can't serve from an empty cup. You know, you have to nourish to flourish. It's super important that you are taking care of you because you. your emotional state is highly contagious to the people around you. Mm -hmm. Your emotional state is highly contagious to the people around you. And if you can show up with the people around you in a place of calm and positive and connected, it makes such an impact on your relationships. So whenever you're going to be with someone, or you're going to sit, you're going to talk to someone, you know, make sure you take a moment to settle your emotions, and then think about being grateful for the time with this person. You know, As I was getting ready to do this presentation with Ryan, both of us sat here for a second and we took a deep breath before he went into his, what a day, what a day, what a day, right? (laughs) And we both took our deep breath. And as I took my deep breath, I thought to myself how grateful I am to have this time with Ryan and his listeners. And You know, and when you wrap your relationships in that kind of calm and gratitude, it really impacts your relationships in very positive ways. And last but not least, self-care is your job. Who else is going to do it? Um, If you don't prioritize yourself, nobody else is. So it's just really important that you find ways to take care of you. I like to say, if you're going to be Superman tomorrow, you got to protect your fortress of solitude tonight. And make sure you give yourself space to rest and show up, you know, fully recharged and regulated, you know, to your days. Now, of course, we're going to lose control at different times during our day, or we're going to get a little bit dysregulated. And the key is, is to always um, recognize when that's starting to happen, rather than when you've lost it and try to calm down and keep yourself in that good place.
0: Absolutely. I had some other questions but you were speaking about gratitude and i i want to go a little bit different of a direction if sure. it's okay with you yeah. um i have a lot of gratitude that i get to not only know you but i get to know your entire family oh, a lot of great. great people um just the Mathini household is full of great people and i love all of you and I was curious based on what we were what we've been talking about. As someone who is not a parent myself, how have you been able to or maybe what is the difference between being able to teach these things to kids in a classroom who are there because they know they're gonna learn versus teaching these to your actual kids? the the kids that you are raising and and having them feel connected to these these concepts
1: okay so first off i have to reveal this so the reason that um ryan and i know each other is because ryan was my son's um camp counselor for multiple years and was an amazing counselor to my son and very a very positive influence and that's why I'm connected with Ryan. So my son and my daughter have both gone to the camp um, that Ryan has been, uh, has worked at for many years, Green Family Camp. And um, and it's a wonderful place for kids and a wonderful place to, to build some of these social skills and you know, all that stuff. So that's a big thank you. Sincerely, Ryan, I really appreciate uh, your role in helping both of my kids.
0: Well, thank you, because I have learned just as much from the both of them and you as well. So well, thanks. appreciate it.
1: All right. So um, your question about how do you teach this to students? And then how do you teach it to your own children? Um, For me, honestly, it's extremely similar. I have always believed as a teacher that the best thing you can do to be a great teacher is to adopt your kids, adopt your students, metaphorically, of course, but I really (laughs) want to teach my students like I would want my kids to be taught. You know, I, you know, I, if a kid is struggling in my class, if a student is struggling in my class, I want to think about you know, how hard I would try if my own son was struggling or if my own daughter was struggling, how many times I would try to help them get through this or how many times I would try to build a relationship. And once you adopt your student, so to speak, it completely transforms the experience, because when I'm telling a story or giving advice in the classroom, they can feel the sincerity that I'm really there to help them. I'm not there because they're a number and I'm trying to get them to do something for a grade. It's more transformational than transactional. The challenging part of your question really is the kids. So I have two wonderful kids and I love them both dearly. They're both amazing uh, kiddos. And, um, you know, the challenge for them sometimes is people will ask them, you know, you know, do you, you know, what do you think of SEL class? And my kids Will go, I don't have SEO class. I have SEO life. Oh. <laughs> right. and, and I'll tell them, you know, it's true because they just hear the language all the time. They hear me talking on the phone about it. I talk about it at dinner. My wife is an educator too, and she's actually very much involved in social and emotional learning as well. Um, And so it's it's, it's just who we are at the house all the time. And so whenever I want to tell them a lesson or whatever, they already have heard the lesson. And in fact, it bites me all the time. So if I don't apologize and follow the actual real way of apologizing, both my son and my daughter and my wife will call me on it. And they'll be like, hey, wait a minute, you didn't admit you were wrong there or you didn't promise to do better in the future. They will (laughs) call me on my own stuff, which is not fair. Oh, my goodness. I should be able to get some free passes, but no. Right. And so my kids, um, both of them have lived with it all their lives. Both of them honestly teach it to their friends. Yeah, Um, It's just they've been around it all the time. Now, do they make mistakes? Of course do I make mistakes? Of course. Does my wife make Yeah, of course we do, right? We're human. And I think the key is, is to be always reflecting and always growing. My grandmother, who lived to be 104 years old, I'm very grateful for that, by the way, uh, but she had a saying that I really love. And her saying was, ever ripening, never rotting. <laughs> ever ripening, never rotting. That's Miriam nice. Simmons was her name. So anyway. Thank you, Mary. You have it, Ryan.
0: <laughs> well, I think another part of that that's really important is having people in your life that you've kind of created. Though these relationships are inherent in your life, it's your family. You've created the way in which these relationships are, in that they challenge you, and you sure. challenge them, and you all hold each other accountable. Which is what everybody needs from the people in their lives is is people that are going to challenge them and hold them accountable. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're all uh, rotting together instead of That's ripening right. together. Well, we're very <laughs>
1: blind. We you know, we get very blind to our habits and behaviors. You know, if you ask everybody for a second, I want everybody to do this activity with me for a second. Everybody, think of the person that you know who is the least emotionally intelligent. Everybody think for a second. Now, think of the person you know, don't say their name. We don't need to offend them or anything, right? But think about the person you know right now who you really think has the lowest emotional intelligence. And then I want you to imagine in your mind that you just walked up to them and you asked them, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how strong would you say your emotional intelligence is? A 10 being awesome, a one being terrible. Now, Ryan, honestly, in that exercise in your mind, what did your person say?
0: Um, <laughs>
1: would they he, say that they were a one or would they say they were a 10
0: yeah no he gave himself a very high number in that situation <laughs> yes
1: this is my point we are often very blind we're very self uh, unaware around these emotional intelligence skills especially if we haven't worked on them right. and the- best way we can get feedback on these things is from our friends and especially the ones that we have that unconditional positive regard from, you know, like my son, I know my son loves me. And if he calls me on something, I know he still loves me, right? So I can hear it from him without having to worry about losing that relationship. Sure. And so it really is important that we help each other grow um, in our close relationships.
0: Absolutely and all right so now outside of uh external relationships with our internal relationship with ourselves how might we achieve more regular responsible decision making without the accountability of others
1: yeah Again, I think it comes back to that reflective piece. You know, you you know, I'm, I'm a big journaler. I really believe in journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the things that I like to do is, you know, I'm, I'm a presenter. So I speak all the time. I train teachers all the time. So after every presentation, I normally like to make some notes about what went well and what I could do better in the future and how I can grow. And that reflection is what helps me keep getting better. And it's the same thing as a person. You know, you can think about that You know, one of the things in uh, the Jewish faith, we're both Jews, um, is that we have this period of reflection every year around uh, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, where we're really taking taking account and taking reflection on how we could be a better father or a better husband or a better citizen or a better teacher or a better Jew, whatever. And it's in that reflection that we truly grow. Um, You know, too often, we're just mindlessly going through our day and we're not really thinking about what we're doing And when you're not thinking about what you're doing, you get into some habits that are obviously not effective.
0: And then you become yourself. (laughs) Breaking the habit of being yourself. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta
1: just keep whittling away at it.
0: (laughs) It really is. Um, How might we, now you have a job where you are speaking to a lot of people often. Right. That stresses me out for you. (laughs) I know that you're good at it, and uh, you love doing it. But if I were to come into this space and start doing so, I would be so very nervous every time I get up in front of people or get on that Zoom call with 200 people in the link or whatever it is. How might we, how do you calm ourselves? How do you calm yourself? And on top of that, how do you help others join in that calm?
1: Hmm. Um, So that's an interesting question that you're asking. And I think part of it is just habit and, you know, being wired. So it's just, this is something that I have always loved doing. I I've always loved, you know, um, working and speaking with groups. I've always been a teacher. It's what I love and I do it every day. And so it just becomes very old hat. It's kind of like time to make the donuts, go do a presentation. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not really, yes, I still get a little bit of those butterflies in your stomach, but those are helpful, you know, because it, it keeps you, you know, make sure that you got everything prepared and you're organized. You don't just walk into it without something. Right. Um, but it's really just, you know, it's the whole 10,000 hours, the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours, you know, how do you become a master of something you do it 10,000 hours of time? And, and I have definitely done that 10,000. I'm not saying I'm a master, but I've definitely done this 10,000 hours of time and it makes it much more comfortable. But what's more challenging is, is when you go into situations that are more novel, how do you manage your emotions in more novel situations? So asking me how to manage my anxiety before speaking is probably not that really helpful because sure. I don't have that much anxiety. Right. But if I had to do a father-daughter dance with my daughter, who is a dancer, and I am not a dancer, right? <laughs> I do That in an audience in front of a whole bunch of people, I would have some serious anxiety. My heart would be, <laughs> up, 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 up. and I think the secret to managing that is to first off, recognize it early, because once that thing gets rolling, it's hard to turn it around. Sure. But if I can recognize it early when I'm starting to feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting a little bit nervous. And take a few deep breaths or go for a walk. It's a lot more easy. Once that thing gets rolling, it's harder. It's not impossible, but it's going to take a lot more time and effort to calm down before that presentation.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so I got to experience some really cool tricks of the trade. I would love for you to share a little bit of it on here today. Um, I do have a few teachers who listen to this and hopefully I'll have a lot of teachers listening to this particular episode, (laughs) but um, I saw how you were able to take a group and make us all feel that calmness. Yeah. Um, It seems that it's the same way you would do it with a classroom or a group of Mm -hmm. adults you know, whoever it is, it works the same. It's really impressive. Can you walk us through that experience?
1: Sure, I'd love to. So what I like to do a lot is called a mindful moment. Um, And what that is, is it's just taking a moment to settle your emotions and get fully present in the present moment. So I'm going to invite all of you to do this with me. Will you please sit up straight and tall in your seat? Put your feet flat on the floor. If you're walking or driving, that's okay too. Just make sure you're settled and you you feel supported. Okay, and so now what I want you to do is I want you to think of three things you're really grateful for in your life. The three things that make you really feel some gratitude, right, they can be people, they can be things, but get those three things in mind, one, two, three, make sure you got them. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take three deep breaths. And with each breath, I want you to inhale through your nose and exhale through your mouth. And while you're doing that, I really want you to be consumed with gratitude about that one thing. So here we go. Think about that first thing you're grateful for. And now take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it. Now exhale slowly through your mouth. Now I want you to think about second thing you're really grateful for. Inhale deeply through your nose. Hold it. Now exhale slowly through your mouth. Notice I'm prolonging the exhale. All right, that third thing you're grateful for. Get a big smile on your face with this one. Here we go. Inhale deeply through your nose. And exhale slowly through your mouth. So that strategy is called grateful breath. And what I love about that strategy is it's working on two levels. We're both inducing positive emotions by thinking about what we're grateful for, and we are reducing dysregulating emotions by prolonging that exhale and focusing on our diaphragmatic breath. And I'm going to invite all your listeners to do something a little different right now. I'd like you to grab a pen or a marker if you can, and I want you to make a mark on your wrist about where your wristwatch would be on the inside of your wrist. Make a mark on your wrist. And then here's what I want you to do every time you see that dot, that mark, I want you to pause and think about something you're grateful for in your life. And then take a slow, deep, deliberate breath. And this can really help us because what really happens in our lives is not a single stressor that flips us out and causes us to lose it very often. That does happen sometimes, but pretty rarely. What really happens is more the buildup of little stressors over the course of the day that eventually gets us to have the straw that broke the camel's back, and then we lose control. If we can settle our emotions periodically through the day by taking a grateful breath, then we can often keep ourselves from having that big explosion and affecting ourselves and those around us because, again, our emotions are very highly contagious.
0: Well, thank you for helping us all today. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm sure this was pretty obvious, but you were one of my grateful things in that moment. And it was very nice <laughs> to reflect on it. Um, before we close it out, one to three book recommendations or more, if you're feeling. Mm. It.
1: So um, there's a lot of great books. Um, that's a hard one. I, I really should have been prepared for that. I mean, this is EQ book club. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, I really do like uh, Mark Brackett's book, uh, Permission to Feel is a good book. Um, I definitely like um, one of my favorite books ever is The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Uh, it's quite an interesting uh, read or audio book. Sounds fun. Enjoyable. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Um, and then I have always uh, been a fan of The Alchemist. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, it just makes you think and reflect about your own personal journey. And I believe if you can feel a sense of purpose, it just changes everything in your life. And I, I like that about that book. Um, and Anyway, I, I hope those, those tips are helpful. And I do want to say to your audience, just please find ways to be grateful for your past. Find ways to be mindful of your present and find ways to be hopeful for your future.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. You can find these book suggestions, prior episode recommendations and a list of my five star favorites at bookshop.org slash shop EQ. Please use this link to support the podcast and shop local. You may not have had a coach Rudy to help you with emotional intelligence growth and self awareness when you were growing up. But you definitely have a coach ride to help you with it now. <laughs> Reach out anytime via my website or just messaging me on my at EQ book club account on Instagram. Keith, where can people find you and your You know, program? The best
1: way to find me honestly is on Twitter. I'm very active there. Um, I can't do all the social media platforms and still have a full life. Yep. But Twitter I'm able to do, and I'm always sharing articles and best practice. You can find me at coach underscore Rudy. So like that little un. So cat at coach underscore Rudy. If you want to, you can check out my website at www.sellaunchpad.com. There are some resources there that that could be helpful to someone. But other than that, just keep growing with Ryan and and, uh, keep getting better every day.
0: (laughs) Thank you. If you are listening to this and you know an educator at any level, send this to them. If you know multiple, send it to all your teacher friends. And if you think someone else listening is going to send it to that person first send it anyway follow and message me on social media on the at eq book club account if you have any feedback i'd love to hear it positive or negative and y'all think i joke about that but i'm serious if you got some negative feedback i love to hear it i mean it's way better than positive feedback i can actually do something with that but i still appreciate the positive feedback not gonna lie This is also where you can find a bunch of relevant links to the book recommendations, episode updates, and quotes that I find interesting from these episodes. It's a great day for a day, y'all. I love you. Goodbye.